Are you passionate about health and nutrition? Then check out the Nutrition Academy. They offer the most comprehensive, innovative, and transparent health and nutrition educational resource on the planet. They strive to separate health misinformation from reality. They give their students the resources and skill sets to think critically about what they read and learn. So you can use the power of research to make better decisions for yourself, your family, and the people you serve. The Nutrition Academy have kindly offered all listeners a discount for this course. So you are able to try it out for yourself with a saving of $50. Just use the code TNN50 at thenutrition.academy or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Worth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Ali McLean, Katie Pettuccini, and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness, and optimizing your health, metabolism, and longevity. While you're tuning into today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Real. In episode 276 of The Real Food Real, we share with you how to optimize being a plant-based athlete with Ellie McLean. In today's episode, Ellie shares her story and why her first attempt at becoming plant-based wasn't so successful. You will learn when it's the right time to become plant-based and what to do to optimize this lifestyle long-term. We explore reducing your animal protein intake, food sustainability, nutrients including vitamin B12, iron and zinc, supplementation for vegans and so much more. Hi, Ellie. I'm so excited for this conversation today. Um, Obviously, I know that you're very passionate about plant-based living and, of course, how it's possible to optimize a plant-based lifestyle for athletes in particular. But before we dive in, tell us how you got to where you are today and why you're so passionate about this topic. Yeah, thanks, Steph. I'm so excited to be here as well having this conversation and so excited for everybody who's about to launch into LCHF Endurance for the first time or potentially the second time. But um, a little bit about me. So I guess my athletic pursuits and my nutrition have sort of um, followed, gone through, like, I guess, their own journeys over the last decade or two. So um, in my 20s, I was a runner dabbling in half marathons. And during my 20s, I'd also gone through periods of playing around with plant-based nutrition. So, you know, reducing animal products. Um, removing meat, keeping eggs in, things like that. And it wasn't until my later 20s that I decided that I could finally embark on full marathons. 
But at the same time, I decided to take a purely plant-based approach to nutrition. So some allowance for some grass-fed butter at that time, but it was predominantly plant-based. And I was training for my first marathon. There were a lot of other things going on in my life. So I was also really stressed both by my work environment and relationships in my life. And I was experiencing a lot of digestive challenge, which you know, later on down the track, I found out that I had parasites and incredible dysbiosis. So for me, the, the time in which I decided to go purely plant-based, you know, with training and life, like life stress and digestive challenge, it was just the perfect storm, which meant that plant-based wasn't going to work for me at that time. Like my hair started falling out and my, my, my gut health just continued to decline. Mm-hmm. And so sort of made that commitment to myself that, I would be plant-based again, but I would do it when I was in a position where I could support my body without having to be reliant on supplements that just really shouldn't necessarily be a requirement on a plant-based protocol. So that's why I'm really passionate about working with individuals and athletes in particular um, on educating them about when it's the right time to to try and go plant-based. And also what to do when you, when you are plant-based and you're an athlete. Because, you know, for me, one of the reasons why I started to look into plant-based nutrition was because of my concerns around, around finding the most sustainable approach to food. Yeah, the most sustainable approach to creating a food supply that would, you know, outsee us and outsee our children. So I wanted to reduce the amount of animal protein that I was reliant on so that I could hopefully inspire others to not necessarily completely remove animal protein, but just slightly reduce it. But if we can't just slightly reduce it and maintain health, then there's no hope in hell that we're going to have that beneficial impact on food sustainability. So that's why I come back to doing plant-based well and doing it sustainably so that we can have that long-term impact um, on food sustainability for the masses. Yeah, I love that. And I know the answer to your, um, oh, I know what your answer is going to be to this question, but, you know, I'd love for you to address, can we be a healthy plant-based athlete? Yeah, it's a really big question. Um, but I, I guess the short version of the answer to that is that we definitely can be a healthy plant-based athlete. Uh, we can be if we take the time to be aware of, what's required to be a healthy plant-based athlete. So I think the same goes for most athletes, but there's just that little bit more attention that needs to be paid to nutrition by someone that wants to be a thriving athlete and that wants to be predominantly plant-based. So what I mean by that is that, first of all, you have to be aware of where the potential gaps are going to be in your diet. So be aware of the fact that, you know, you're probably going to be... um, insufficient in B12, you know, insufficient amounts of B12 coming in through the diet, if not none, coming in through the diet. So you've got to be aware of that. You've got to be aware of where you're going to get your iron from, where you're going to get your zinc from. Um, so it's that awareness of I can't just take a scattergun approach to my, tri- my nutrition, but during the day I really have to make sure that I'm lining things up. So I'm getting adequate micronutrient um, intake and so that I'm getting adequate macronutrient intake. So I would say first and foremost, you absolutely can be a thriving vegan athlete, 
but you have to be aware of what it takes to be a thriving vegan athlete, which means you have to be invested in your nutrition and, and what you eat. Yeah. Um, Go on. So it's that, will- it's that willingness to be engaged, that willingness to understand, to educate yourself. And there's obviously lots else that you can do and I can go there right now. But first and foremostly, it's that willingness, it's that commitment to, okay, I'm going to understand what is food, what's in my food and what do I need to eat day to day. Yeah, I see a really positive side to this because what I see in the athlete space is, you know, the training program and the training peaks and the stra- and the Strava and the logging and the everything, the meticulous awareness to the physical component and then, oh, yeah, I'll eat whenever or I'll just grab whatever. And in Western countries, that whatever is very often a refined carbohydrate and very inadequate from a nutrient density point of view. So all athletes, regardless of their goals around plant-based or not, taking that um, – that next approach and applying the same passion that you do about your data and your training, you know, stats to your food and to your macros and to your micros, I think is, is where we're at from a recovery performance and longevity point of view. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And I first was interested in sports nutrition, like when I was a teenager, because I was looking at athletes, like these incredible endurance athletes having to work for hours on end knowing that the difference between them being, uh, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth or on the podium would really be what you do differently outside of the training track. Like most athletes are pretty committed to getting up and doing the training, like following the training peaks, as you said. But athletes are going to be doing, the, doing their best and doing it for the longest, you know, not just being, a, being an athlete in their 20s but into their 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s. They're the ones that, that pay attention to their nutrition, to their recovery strategies, to their lifestyle habits. And I think athletes are starting to become more attuned to that. Like people are starting to become more aware of the impact that nutrition has, um, probably because, you know, they're hearing from other people about how much better they feel and how much better they recover and perform when they do start to pay attention to their nutrition. So you're right, every athlete is going to benefit when they start to pay more attention to to what they're to what they're eating. I think also there has to be this willingness to not just understand what to eat, but to engage in what you're eating. So buy food, prepare food, eat homemade food, as opposed to being completely reliant on out of the packet, off the shelf, from the from the restaurant type eating. And perhaps even more so for those that are wanting to, to go plant-based because a lot of the, let's talk about like protein, for example, a lot of the protein sources that I would recommend plant-based athletes look to are things like hemp protein options, so hemp seeds, hemp powder, um, organic non-GMO tofu and possibly some room for some tempeh, um, things like quinoa, buckwheat. But when you're out eating and reliant on, you know, the restaurant to put your meal together for you, there's not always those options there, yeah? Like the plant-based options might be pasta with some with some Napoli sauce on top of it or the plant-based options might be the baked sweet potato with the, with the legumes and lentils. And 
you know, those things are okay in isolation, but when that starts to become meal on meal, then you are going to find yourself in a state of deficiency, like is overarching state of like protein deficiency, not to mention potential risks of, you know, lack of iron intake, lack of zinc intake, um, overconsumption of, of carbohydrates, which is totally going to derail your, your goal of, of becoming a fat adapter athlete, let alone just a healthy athlete. Yeah, so I want to connect those dots because you've answered the question that it is possible to be a healthy plant-based athlete. And I agree with you, but I also agree that it takes work. So, you know, if you are making that decision that you want to move towards plant-based or be 100% plant-based, I really, and I know you will agree, Ali, I encourage you to to do the work, to educate yourself and yes, to get in the kitchen because that's your magic pill, right? Learning to cook and and developing that, that beautiful relationship with what you put in your body is going to be a huge part of your health, but yeah, performance and longevity in the, in the athletic space. So let's connect the dots because yes, a healthy plant-based athlete is one thing, but similar to what you've been saying, what I sense is, you know, it's very easy for us to be filling up on carbohydrates. So then how do we look at being a healthy fat adapted plant-based athlete? Mm, yeah. So yeah, if the trap is to rely on, on carbohydrates and a lot of that being processed carbohydrates, then the solution to being uh, on a macronutrient level, the solution to being a healthy and thriving plant-based athlete is to, is to take that reliance away from the carbohydrate on the plate. And, you know, the build your plate guidelines that we we can give somebody is probably like one of the best tools that they'll have in their little bag of tricks when it comes to, to plant-based nutrition. So, you know, on your plate, the hero should be the non-starchy vegetables. So these are the, the super nutrient-rich, mineral-dense things like, you know, spinach, kale, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts. And that really should be forming the bulk of your plate. Then we're looking for protein and we can get enough protein on a plant-based on a plant-based diet if we're aware of where we're getting that protein from. So some of the, the, the go-tos and probably the most celebrated sources of protein on a plant-based diet are lentils and legumes. So, you know, lentils, chickpeas, kidney beans, um, black beans. Now, don't get me wrong, these are a wonderful source of protein to include in an overall plant-based protocol but they can't be the only source of protein that we look to, especially if you want to be a fat-adapted athlete, um, you know, because, because foods don't come in isolation as just one macronutrient, right? So there's not many foods that are purely protein or foods that are, um, you know, purely carbohydrate. And if we look at legumes and lentils, they're that combination of protein and carbohydrates. So if we want to be fat-adapted, we can't rely on lentils and legumes as that protein source. They can certainly be part of the picture, but they can't be the only part of that protein picture. So alongside lentils and legumes, we can look at some other less carbohydrate-dense protein sources. So like I said before, hemp powder and hemp seeds are a great addition. You know, hemp powder in a smoothie, hemp seeds in a salad or on top of a, on, on top of a chickpea stir-fry, for example. We can look at tofu-based or sorry, soy-based products. This is another area that there's a lot of question around and I celebrate people questioning it rather than just going, you know, straight in and eating an abundance of soy. But we really want to separate what is the soy that's helped, that is going to help contribute to our goal of 
getting you know adequate um, protein, adequate iron, uh, a broad range of amino acids versus what is the the soy that is going to potentially mean that we're eating more in the way of processed foods and, and more in the way of poor quality foods. So I put soy on a bit of a spectrum. You know, at this red end of the spectrum, we've got soy protein powders, soy milk, soy cheeses, soy um, <laughs> soy meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Soy burgers, soy sausages, soy whatever. Cheese. You know, yeah. all of the all of that processed mm. soy stuff. Mm. And here at the green end of the spectrum, we've got you know, organic non-GMO tofu, organic non-GMO tempeh, which are really the, the sources of soy that you could include in your diet and along with miso as well. So that's my take on soy. You want to include that, which is going to really support your protein amino acid requirements in a, in a relatively healthy way, but deprioritize those that are just, those that are just protest, processed and potentially full of a lot of other rubbish yeah, vegetable oils as well <laughs> yeah exactly vegetable oil salt sugar thickeners emulsifiers like so much so much in there that your body just really doesn't need to, to deal with so we want protein on our plate and then what i find a lot of athletes are also forgetting about or afraid to put on the plate are the quality fats so these quality fats, so avocado, olive oils, avocado oil, coconut oil, coconut milk, coconut cream, nuts and seeds, nuts and seeds, butters, these fats on the plate are what's going to provide that feeling of fullness and that feeling of satiety in the absence of all of the carbohydrates that might otherwise be there on a traditional plant-based plate. So... Your question was around how do we avoid that trap of consuming an abundance of carbohydrate? Well, the answer is to make your plate that, um, that beautiful, I guess, representation of non-starchy vegetables, quality proteins and anti-inflammatory fats. And then you use those carbohydrates strategically to support your training recovery, to support your race day efforts. Yeah. And like you're probably preaching to the choir to a degree here, um, but there are still people that are afraid of fats that you and I see in clinic almost every week. And so it, it is a good topic to explore because what you can't do is cut out the carbs and then not add anything back in, right? So they work in that seesaw. So if you lower your carbohydrates, you don't change your protein. You want to make sure that you're filling up, getting beautiful blood sugar control, satiety, and all the health benefits of the right sorts of fat. So that's probably mm. a really good topic for us just to explore briefly around what does that mean? Like I've heard you say avocado, but the fat conversation is quite confusing because of products like vegetable oils that have been unfortunately celebrated for far too long when they're the exact foods we need to be avoiding. So just give us a rundown of your top mm. um, plant-based fats that we could be building our plate with. Yeah. Well, I'll go back a step as well because I think – there is a lot of fear in some plant-based communities around fats, particularly saturated fats. Yeah. So, and, and so there's this further demonization of things like coconut oils, coconut milk, coconut cream, because of this fear of the risk or, or the impact that they may have on risk for, for cardiovascular disease. So I think even within the, the plant-based vegan community, there is potentially more fear around quality fats. But what we have to remember is, and, and what, what we somehow forgot throughout like the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s and noughties is that 
fat is actually a requirement, just like cholesterol is a requirement within our body. So, you know, we need fat to support cell membrane integrity, to support beautiful glowing skin, support um, uh, cognitive function. So it's, it's a requirement in the diet, not just like this optional extra that's going to help us feel fuller for longer. So remember that. But in terms of my favorite fat sources, um, Avocado, you can't go past just because I think in salads and things like that, it does it does provide a replacement to things like cheese or feta if that's what you're used to having in a salad. And obviously, it goes really nicely on things like tofu, tofu scramble. And um, I think the list goes on in terms of how you can use avocado. Um, I also really love the inclusion of nuts and seeds because of the omega-3s that we get in there, but because of all the beautiful minerals and vitamins that we get within things like pumpkin seeds or pepitas or sesame seeds, which are a great source of calcium as well. And obviously we can get sesame seeds in the form of tahini, so they become this really nice versatile source of fat that we can use. That we can use. So we've got avocado, we've got nuts and seeds, specifically um, uh, pumpkin seeds, hemp seeds, sesame seeds, almonds and walnuts. I don't know if I can put that all in one category, but they're all one category. Um, oils. So my my go-to oils are avocado oil, olive oil and flaxseed oil. Uh, you know, some which can be used for cooking and some which are perfect for putting on top of, on top of salads, on top of bowls, things like that. Um, when it comes to quality fats, we can't disregard the fact that on a plant-based protocol, there is going to be, um, on a purely plant-based protocol, there's going to be a lack of um, EPA, DHA in the diet. So we can, of course, get omega-3s through our diet, but those omega-3s, in order to do their job in the body, they need to be converted to EPA, DHA, and that conversion is really going to be affected by just eating plant-based sources of omega-3. So I often like to encourage... Uh, seaweed products yeah. or an algae derived omega-3 supplement now you know obviously the supplement discussion is usually one that we would save for for one-on-one -on -one consultation but i think we can't deny the fact that there are some supplements that are going to be really really beneficial on a plant-based protocol especially for athletes wanting to perform at their best and um, an algae derived omega-3 epa dha supplement is one that i often recommend yeah, I would agree. And I think it's really important to have that conversation because, again, we're aiming for health first. Performance will come from that. So just acknowledging yeah. could be lacking. And, of course, we'll do the vast majority via food, but I'm with you in that for a plant-based approach to be healthy and sustainable, there will be some accompanying supplements. Um, but I also just wanted to reiterate your point before around, yeah, in the plant-based space, the, the constant demonization of saturated fat is actually a very big concern for me because of that, that brain focus. You know, we already know that if we don't um, take a B12, which I'll talk to you about shortly, we run the risk of quite significant deficiency, which can look like neurological symptoms when we're talking sort of two, three years down the track. And then we're afraid of saturated fat, so we're not providing ourselves with those beautiful building blocks for our brain, as you said, and our hormones and so on and so forth. So, you know, we, we have to stop demonizing whole foods and, and acknowledging that within the saturated fat space, especially with that um, unfair correlation to cardiovascular disease, we had it wrong. Like we literally had it 
so wrong for quite literally 50 years. And so we can unlearn things. We just need to look at what the research looks like now and acknowledge that, that nature has it right. So those coconut products that you mentioned, coconut oil are really important inclusions, but you want to always start with the omega-3, which is why that beautiful Absolutely. is so important. Yeah. Um, you know, we can't disregard the fact that communities for centuries have, have, have been raising their children on coconut products, mm. coconut milk, coconut cream. Like I, I hate to sound like sort of all hail the coconut, but it is this beautiful. Like if you go to islands mm. and you think about what it is, what it would have been like to be like hunter gatherer on a on an island, you would look at the coconut at like this beautiful like gift from God if you believe in God. But it's got water, it's got electrolytes, it's got fat. Um, there's so much nourishment there in the coconut that we can't disregard that it absolutely falls falls a falls a part of our diet, but it just can't be the only fat in our diet. So, like you said, we place priority on those omega threes, and we we make that the majority of the fat that we consume. But then there's absolutely place for us to be having, um, you know, coconut oil in a in a nut and date ball or coconut oil in the pan when when we're about to make a stir fry. So. Yeah, there's definitely room for it. And, um, yeah, the, the, the demonization of fats, particularly within the plant-based community, like you said, it, 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 there's this concern and question mark around cognitive function and impairment, you know, especially as, as we get older. But also, what about hormones? Yeah. What about the impact of reducing fats, reducing saturated fats on hormone production? You know, for women, this is such an important discussion I didn't mention that before um, before sort of coming out of my hole and being able to go back into to, to doing plant-based well. So after I'd sort of fallen into that hole of marathon training and being stressed and being overworked and all of that, I didn't have a period either. <laughs> so I proactively started including more fats in my diet and 100% that is what helped me to get a natural cycle back. Cognitive function, it's hormones. It's a sort of a segue again, but like the the other thing that is wrapped up in that saturated fat conversation, and like you said around um, the coconut, is they often don't believe in the hunter gatherer approach because, of course, historically we ate a lot of animal products, and then the argument is that you know we only lived till the age of sort of thirty nine or forty back then. But I mean we've really got to look at how different the world was back then and that we didn't have, you know, modern medicine, which is life-saving and in the right situation. And that, you know, we're obviously having to hunt for our food <laughs> and, you know, there was a lot more environmental um, and external threats. So we've just got to take yeah. that with a, a grain of salt and acknowledge that there's a lot of new science that for those that have studied some time ago, or unfortunately studying now where the curriculum is quite outdated You've got to get into yeah. the research to make sure that you're not stuck in that anti-saturated fat movement, which is, you know, being disproven at this point in time. Yeah, yeah. And look, Steph, one of the reasons I love actually talking about how to do plant-based well is because we can sort of put aside that conversation of, you know, do, you know, as hunter-gatherers, do we eat a lot of meat? Do we not eat a lot of meat? Where we are we designed to consume meat to not consume meat? Like, it's very controversial, but what we can look at is, well, moving forward, what do we need to do? Yeah. Like, moving forward, how do we 
how do we do plant-based well? Because a lot of people are starting to understand that, you know, they do feel better if they do eat a, a primarily plant-based diet um, or they're starting to appreciate that the way that we produce meat is just not healthy and not sustainable. So maybe, you know, meat at every meal is not, is not sustainable either. So there's no denying that people are wanting to take a more plant-based approach. I'm not saying 100% plant-based, but people are wanting to take a more plant-based approach. So we've got to understand how do we do that well. Yeah, totally. And, and that's the argument that we always get. Where, but what we've been doing at The Natural Nutritionist since 2011, I believe, is predominantly plant-based. Like never am I recommending animal protein at every meal. But it get, that conversation gets lost in those that are quite biased to 100% veganism essentially yeah that's yeah. a conversation <laughs> exactly did you want to come back to some of the other um perhaps requirements that we need to be conscious of when yeah. it comes to the plant-based the plant-based protocol because i think we've had a look at protein sources and i guess hopefully debunking that myth that we're not going to get enough protein on a plant-based diet because we absolutely can we've had a look at fats and what role the fats play in the diet so if we get into micronutrients, like B12 is the one that we talk about a lot, um, and that is because we can't get B12 on a plant-based protocol. So, you know, there are B12 fortified foods like nutritional yeast, but I'm not a fan of those, um, not because I don't like the taste of them, but, but just because I'm not a fan of the B12 analogs that are there in that fortified product. So I do recommend a good quality B12 supplement and um, it's always nice to have some, some testing done along the course of your journey so you can understand where your B12 levels, B12 levels are at before you start supplementing and then you can track and monitor that over the course of your, your plant-based journey. So ideally test your B12 along with some other markers and then supplement as you go. It might be a higher dose in the beginning and then a lower dose as, as you progress. But B12 is something that... Um, can be stored in our body for up to two years. So sometimes the signs of B12 deficiency don't actually start to manifest for a few years into the plant-based protocol. And I, I only know a few individuals who have got away with well, one individual who got away with not supplementing with B12. So don't try and think that you're that hero who's going to get away with it on the plant-based protocol go and get your B12 levels um, tested and then assess what level of supplement you need for the short term and then, of course, into the long term. Interestingly, did you, B12? did you test B12 and active B12 in this athlete? Just total B12. Okay. An athlete who's been plant-based for over 20 years and levels as required. Okay. But only one. Mm. <laughs> for the majority of <laughs> yeah, no, no guessing, let's get some tests. So, yeah. Over to you. And, and all, yeah, and this individual has um, been eating some eggs and some butter and things like that over the years, so getting some, like some traces of B12 in. But for the vast majority, get tested and, and supplement as, as needed. So B12, iron is the next one that always comes up. You should be able to maintain adequate iron levels on a plant-based protocol, um, you know, through getting things like your tempeh in, even tofu, your green leafy vegetables, your seaweed products. Um, but if you don't know what your iron levels are like before you go plant-based and they were already quite low, then, you know, that's just going to decline and decline and decline until you really 
feel the low iron and, and go and get tested. So this theme that hopefully is becoming apparent is that get tested before you before you decide to go plant based. Understand whether these where these key markers are at, and then start to work on them. So B12, iron. I would get zinc tested. I would get vitamin D tested, as well as copper. Uh, what else have I missed? There's key ones from a micronutrient standpoint. You go. No, you go. I was just going to say there's obviously so many more tests you can do, but in the specific nature of like checking where you're at as a bit of a stock take before you dive in, you've really, I think you've covered the, the, the basics from a plant-based priority. Um, there is, of course, more testing. You can do like an omega-3 index with your practitioner. But by this point in time, I hope you're also understanding that it, it's really nice to get that personalised support because, you know, how much B12, how much iron, and, and the list continues, right? And so getting that really personalised support can help dial in your nutrition and look at that supplement protocol because we're all so different. You know, just one example is female athletes of menstruating age are going to have a really different iron requirement to our male athletes. And, you know, again, just one example. So that's why we're not giving any sort of more personalised recommendations because we can't. It's about getting that one-on-one support. Exactly. And also getting that one-on-one support so you can understand what's led to the, the low iron or the low B12 or low vitamin D because if we're um, in this imaginary scenario, you know, the individual is not plant-based before they go and get those tests done. So if you've got low iron, low B12 and you've been consuming animal protein until that point, well, then we know that it's not diet. So we have to figure out what else is it. And, and I'm thinking gut, like all signs pointing to the gut, if we've got low levels of those nutrients before taking on a plant-based approach to nutrition. So uh, something else that I always talk about one-on-one is the importance of gut health and the importance of getting that in a really beautiful place before you dive straight into or just dive sort of wholly into a plant-based protocol. So... Yeah, it's that that investigation to not only understand where your levels of these micronutrients sit in regards to your requirements as an athlete and what you can do to raise those levels, but understanding what caused those low levels so you can negate that, like nip that in the bud before you take on approach to nutrition, which is going to which is going to potentially impact the levels of things like yeah, B twelve, iron, zinc. Yeah, and that might lead someone to not be in a dissimilar position to you where the first time you tried plant-based, you just weren't ready, well, you know, you weren't ready because of all the external situations. And it might be, you know, slightly different that someone else has quite low stores, so low B12, low on lysine, which, which is quite common for us to see in clinic. So maybe doing a bit more work on the gut and getting those foundations really strong before you strip out all the foods that would otherwise provide you with those nutrients. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, let's think about it on a timeline. If you've been eating animal protein for 33 years and suddenly you decide that you want to become plant-based, well, I see nothing wrong with you taking like a three to six month journey to becoming plant-based. You know, if it's a, you've got a long-term view of, of being plant-based, then take the time that's required to set you up for that. It'll be worth it in the long run. 
See, that's great advice in of itself because, of course, we have documentaries like The Game Changers, meaning that every man and his dog is vegan today and tomorrow and they just go to Coles and pick up the plant-based sausages and the fake chicken nuggets and replace that with the meat that they were having and the steak that they were cooking and so on and so forth. And then no further thought required. And that's not healthy and, and nor is that sustainable because I have a huge issue with the overconsumption of soy because it's a monocrop and it's really impacting our environment and our soil quality. And that again is a whole nother conversation, but we can't have healthy plant-based food without healthy soil. So we can't be relying on these monocrops and these fake foods and, you know, then the, the, the low nutrients that that then provides us. So three to six months, absolutely take your time, make sure you're starting from that place of optimal health and then, you know, checking along the way with not only your practitioner but regular blood tests so that you know that you are continuing to be healthy when there is that potential that your stores are depleting over that two-year period. Yeah, and it actually breaks my heart to see so many people inspired and engaged to do plant-based off the back of, you know, documentaries to then try it for for some people that I've spoken to like three or four days and they give up because they felt so terrible. And then we've lost that person. So they go back to eating poorly produced animal protein um, for, for lunch and dinner seven days a week. And so we've lost them. We've lost that person who is going to, who could have potentially started to consume like 90 or 95% plants. Hmm. So, um, just a little bit of time, a little bit of thought into preparing for eating more plants will just, uh, I think, do the whole world a lot of a lot of service. Yeah, I and it it is it is a really in depth topic of conversation. I I don't even know all of the answers right now in terms of um, the most sustainable way of um, like producing protein because of that because of the impact of um, of monocrops, monocultures. So, yeah, that's another big conversation. Yeah, it's going to be mixed ag, but, yeah, we'll talk about that another time. (laughs) Like, I think it's such a wealth of knowledge. Like, I know that our athletes would have already learned so much and there is so much more we could explore, but I think setting the scene today is so important. Um, So thank you again for your time and I'm sure we'll speak to you again soon. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the, um, the conversation opening up for people. Awesome. So we'll pop some details below on how you guys can reach Ellie. Um, and yes, absolutely. Please do reach out for her to learn more. Thanks, Steph. See you again. Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, Before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love. See you next time on The Real Food Real. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Boston Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.